Hello, namaste, adab, satsriyakal, konnichiwa, nihao, nisa, bula, and vanakam. Welcome to the Shore Project Podcast. Where we make sure about migraine challenges and how to overcome them. I'm Janvi. And I'm Anushka, and we're your podcast hosts. Today, we're in conversation with the artsy brown lady, Gurinder Kaur, um, <laughs> discussing, I guess, the type of work that she's been engaging in, her ideas, and her just... Oh, this conversation so far has been you're going to see what we're we're about to dive into but just before we do just a reminder that while we may provide some general advice around mental health in this podcast it may not be applicable to your specific situation and that Mm -hmm. if you are needing support with anything it is best to discuss it individually with a mental health practitioner hi thank you so much for being on uh the podcast today we're very very excited to have you I'm equally excited to be here and thank you so much for having me guys. Amazing. Okay, well, I guess the number one question that we ask anyone, any of the guest speakers that come on is like, tell us your migrant migrant story. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it's always nice to share that one. Um, So we migrated in 2015. I was 21 and um, yeah, we came here in, we actually landed in Adelaide. My migrant journey, I think, is quite different because I came with my parents. I was not an international student. But when the additional thing of coming with your parents is like, I was still very much stuck in that they wanted us to stay very like, they wanted to retain India and they wanted to like retain that dynamic very much, Mm -hmm. even if we've moved here. And there was an additional struggle of, constantly trying to adapt to this new environment while my parents had acquired without stand you know I don't know the lack of better word they still wanted us very like to act a certain way and we, we were constantly going to and fro to and fro with that um, but on top of that Adelaide was predominantly is predominantly white and I don't know if if it has shifted from the time I came I had quite a few racist experiences when I first started working here and kind of hurt me a lot and I was like Mm -hmm. this is um and on top of that we moved migrated from New Delhi which is a full-blown city to Adelaide which is more like a town country town yeah and everyone's very close-knit there as well aren't they yeah everyone knows everyone so it's like I don't know those racist experiences and everything end up and all of that I went back I went Mm -hmm. back for nine months and I was like, I was genuinely questioning if I want to make this decision of migration because I was like, I don't, I don't see the point. Like I'm from, like I I had a good job. I was working full time in India. Um, I used to work with, I don't know um, if you know that there was a catastrophe insurance company in India. And then when I went back in 2016, so I I was working with American Express. So I, I was always like, with a good organization and I didn't really see the need anyways but because you know family and I've got two younger siblings which I've always been sort of a youth kind of carer for them mm-hmm. and I felt like okay and I, I want to come back but then I like I was very clear that I would not stay in Adelaide once we do get a permanent residency because it was just too much for me yeah and then I moved mm-hmm. to Melbourne in 2018 um which was after studying 
one year youth work I moved to and again like it was so interesting I studied in Adelaide tried to convince myself that Adelaide is like a good city and then moment I was in interviews I was the brownest person in the room and I did never once got a call back and I was couldn't put my head on it because my study went so well yeah. My lecturer mm. was always like, oh, you're such a great, you know, student, like you've done submissions, this and that, you've put everything in. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, that's how I've been brought up to study. But anyways, still couldn't get a job offer there. And then I applied for Melbourne and in 2018 and rest has just been almost like history because Melbourne like almost took me in. <laughs> like I felt so... From my very first job to now working in Origin Youth Mental Health, it's just been so nice. Like, felt so more accepted. The culture was really different here. I think one of the most iconic moments was um, 2018 Diwali in Fed Square. Mm-hmm. We were just so, like, over the moon at this thing. We were like, I can't believe, like, they're celebrating our culture. So, you know, I don't know. People have different versions of you know hosting at all these functions within melbourne but that was really accepting and so yeah it kind of feels like home now isn't it like we when they do it in the city and like the fireworks are going off and there's just like community you really get a sense of like okay no like our cultures can actually mesh together and we can have both things in one place because it's never easy being a migrant and like you know you Mm. Moving with your parents, acculturation, and at the age that you moved at, you spent 21 years in a whole different country mm. where the values and everything are very collectivistic. And then we've moved mm-hmm. Australia to probably one of the widest places that you can go to. Mm. I experienced all of these things that you probably never anticipated experiencing. Mm. Yeah. And you're really spot on with that collectivist versus individualistic shock that you keep coming across because. You don't just feel it with your parents. You start working here and it's a different work environment. My sister was going to school here in Adelaide. It was a very different environment. She had she experienced quite a lot of bullying for her accent. And that really took me back as well. I was not expecting that. I was like, this is... Basically, you think this is going to be a evolved city. Like, this is going to be, like, somewhere, in some way better than where you've come from. And it was not proving to be in any way better. And I was like, this is, I, so that was a big shock for me as well. And just the friendships are quite individualistic mm-hmm. as well. Whereas when you come from India, because of that collectivist thing, you, if you're a part of a friend group, they really take you in. They, it's almost like having a second family mm-hmm. and you, you don't get to experience that as well. So yeah, I think it was quite a tough time and, we've definitely come a long way. I think one of the biggest things has just been the fact that I got my husband here as well from Mm -hmm. Delhi and he has made it a million times easier because at least I can share what I'm going through with him. Yeah, yeah. So I literally had to poach the loved one from India because I was like, I can't migrate by myself, I need you here. But yeah, so he's been here since 2019. Poor guy's been in lockdown for wow. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one thing. So um, you touched yeah. based on giving interviews and, you know, you were the only brown person in the room um, and you never got a call back. I wanted to know how, if you were 
place in that situation once again. What would you tell yourself? I would not go into self doubt as much, you know. Mm. I the thing the only thing that I took away from that was like I used to go into self doubt quite a lot, and I would I would always tell us all oh, these people are definitely better off than me in some way, and like almost like put myself down because I wouldn't get the job, and unfortunately the culture in my house was also not that encouraging and wouldn't it didn't really encourage me to be the best version or like, you know, didn't, I didn't feel like my parents had a lot of faith in me. So I wouldn't even go back and get that. But now I've created a support system of friends and family here in Melbourne that they, if I do ever step into that space and come out, they would also remind me that, you know, you know, we don't know what happened there. You know, maybe someone was, you know, already, selected for this role or maybe they are like let's face it maybe they did want someone who's white for the role and you have to accept that and I was like yeah but I wouldn't take it so personally personally yeah yeah okay, yeah that's really helpful yeah because I think quite often when we come here as migrants we have that experience um mm. you're the different person in the room and that gets really intimidating mm. for so sure good. I think inti- that's that's one thing that's also changed that I've been working in, in an organization where they where I see a mix of white and people of color and yeah. and you realize that you know maybe whatever reason it you I think like one of the things that I've told myself is I was better off if I didn't get through this interview because yeah. I would have if I, even if I would have gotten the role I probably would have carried this feeling because yeah. that's the culture yeah. they have yeah they probably have this culture and if your feet because a lot of good organizations will make you automatically feel comfortable within the interview. But if they are an organization where there is a culture of intimidation of like a real hierarchy, and if you get the sense of that in the interview, I think you're almost better off not getting through with that role. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering when you end up in a role like that and then you feel super uncomfortable about the entire mm. experiences next to like you know the worst and I think what people don't realize is you you spend so much of your time at work you know it's almost like 38 to 40 hours depending on what hours you're working if your work environment is no good things like your mental health space the your mood everything is affected by it yeah and I think like if that keeps happening on a continuous basis like it erodes you and your self-confidence and then Mm. you reach a stage where you can't take anymore and it becomes tougher to get back Mm. Um, so I was like having a conversation with a friend yesterday and I remember this when I was young I used to tell myself like anything that you know takes my peace away literally anything you know even as it was eating something that's making me feel uncomfortable stop it yeah and I think that goes a long way because you don't then it's easy to let go yeah it's true absolutely yeah, I think this this idea of it's a it's an evolved version of yourself that can actually say these things. <laughs> it's because I hundred percent agree with that. Like I think when I was younger, um, like obviously you know I remember my uni days in India and I was big on on Maccas and having all of that. And now my body doesn't respond well to it. <laughs> You're just like 
bitch. You actually feel yeah. shitty after eating certain yeah. foods, and you you've come to this realization. It's not worth your time and energy. And yeah, I think I would. I think it's nice to be this evolved. Yeah. Also, <laughs> bearing in mind that that evolvement takes time, guys. If you're listening, to mm. this, why have I not thought of this? It's because it takes time. Trust me. We're all in an age gap yeah. now where it's like. Absolutely. Take time. Yeah. Closer, <laughs> to, closer to 30, you yeah. learn so many life lessons. You really just, do. And I'm like, I wish I knew this I'm just, you know, I'm still oh, doing so <laughs> but, but also, but in saying that, like in your 20s, because I think from 20 yeah. to 30 is, is a 10 year gap. And like that, mm. in that 10 years, you learn so oh. much. It, even within like five years time, you learn so much because the transitions and the things that you're going through in life is just, you know, you're moving mm. out of home, you might be getting married, you might be in long-term relationships, you might be starting work. There's a lot of things happening mm. happens in that space. So you learn from those, I guess, the mistakes that you make, the way that you feel, all sorts of mm. things. Um, mm. I think one of the questions I wanted to ask you is as a, wait, no, hang on. I've got two things. Firstly, uh, just touching on the topic of um, racism in the workplace and interviews. Interesting to hear this perspective from people who have migrated recently. As someone who was born and brought up in Australia, this might be an interesting fact for you guys, but like when mm. when we used to go out to like find a job, it's like initially, so like, you know, when we get out of high school or whatever and you're like trying to find a job, something that a lot of my friends um, experienced because I ended up working in a small bookstore, so it wasn't as big of a problem for me, but my brother experienced this as well, was that if you were Asian or if you had an ethnic name, like a lot of people had to westernize their names on their resumes because if you have your real name down, you were like unlikely to get an interview at all. Like just wasn't going to happen for you. So like my brother's name is Ashthor, she would put down Ash. I have friends who would just like change their names because it's just like, you know, you put down your real name and you put, you like apply for just even retail and you just, you don't get it because they, I don't know what, I don't know what the assumption is, but it was super devastating to see that like, you know, in a country where our population is majority migrants, that this is still, I don't know whether that was a factor, but you know, it's not a coincidence when it's happening to multiple people. I think that is so so true I remember actually when we came to Australia they asked us to go to a job consultant to get a job and one of the first suggestions she made was I I think you should put a western more easy name on your resume because you wouldn't get a call otherwise Mm -hmm. and I honestly I didn't have a problem with it because I've got like my name is Gurvinder. So even in India, I had friends calling me like GK or um, a preferred name. So I was like, I didn't understand the seriousness of it up until I think a few years down the line. And I was like, okay, so like, I've like literally changed my whole personality. (laughs) Your entire identity is attached to that. Yeah. And you give in so much. I think it's like giving too, I think it's giving too much a part of yourself. Oh, absolutely. Or something. Is it Shakespeare that said, what's in a name? Like so much is in a name. Your entire identity is in a name. That's who you're known as. I think I was also given that um, as a suggestion when I came here, change your name to something westernized. And I don't know why I didn't do it, but I remember somebody gave me that suggestion. Um, And you know, when you're 18, you don't really know, like first time you're going and applying for a job, you have no idea how to do it. and then now when you think of it, it is a big thing. I mean, it's important. Yeah. 
you know I and mean, this, a lot of my friends have changed their names I think the if you and one of the things that if you notice is like so second generation kids that are born here often parents name them white names yeah yes yeah. which is something that i was like okay like i i understand that because they've just struggled so much with their name that they don't want to put their child through that kind of suffering because they're like you know no one's going if i name them to ethnic people are not going to call them for jobs like their friends are going to make fun of them so as parents they like they are literally making that decision for that child which like a protective factor essentially yeah which is kind of sad because it you is. know mm. so i think it's very very prevalent even today oh i 100% agree there's just it and it's it's like what you're saying it is very sad because you know what it's a part of your culture that's attached and like any type of name like in a different culture in a different country or whatever it is they they have meaning you know and they have such beautiful mm. meanings behind them they're not hard to pronounce either i mean I was thinking about white names that could be really hard to pronounce and I'm like some of these just aren't great like if you can pronounce xyz you can pronounce my name. I like Oh, have you seen Hasan Minaj's interview on Ellen and he says if Ellen can pronounce Timothy Chalamet, Ellen can pr- pronounce Hasan. Yeah. And 100%. it was one of the most amazing things ever I've seen on like TV because I was like this Straight is a mic drop. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Like yeah, if you can say Timothy Chalamet, why can't you say, you know, for sure. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. Um my second question to you was that you talked a lot about social support and I think I wanted to check in cuz Janvi and I we did a bit of a talk around this. It was earlier this year sometime and we maybe it was a recording we did I can't remember. Um but we we really preached about social support and how important it is and I wanted to check in with you and see as someone who's migrating as an adult do you feel like social support and having adequate social support was like one of the key factors in being able to acculturate assimilate and sort of just yeah like get you through everything. When you say social support do you mean services that are here for migrants or do you mean the community support that you get both plus friendships and family okay i think it's very very important to have those kind of supports but it's i had a very mixed experience yeah. because when it comes to community supports the communities sometimes will give you these messages that you need to put your head down and mm-hmm. just survive yeah and that was a very like it very went against my philosophy of living life i was like yeah. and yet you kept telling us we're coming here for better life like yeah. how can you tell us that you're going to you know thrive in this environment and then the other thing you're saying is you just have to survive like that that's what they kept telling us so i think i had very mixed experiences it was actually better i was better off trusting some of the migrant services because they had more i would say an optimistic or positive outlook and i, I don't know maybe they did that because they're running a service and mm. they want people to keep coming to this service but it's almost like we got more hope of them than the community supports that we had back in adelaide yeah like immigration but, agencies like migrant immigration agencies yeah yeah so migration i agencies. Yeah, I got enrolled with um someone who was it was like a little course that gets you job ready in Australia and it was run by this 
organization that like claimed to be quite migrant sensitive. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they made, uh, they also, they left the space open for all these newly arrived migrants. And they, they did really give us practical tips around resume editing, cover letters and this and that. But it, was, it helped us bring together this community. And I still am in touch with a few of those people. But looking back, they gave us so much more hope and positivity. And mm -hmm. we also attended the newly migrants arrived dinner. Okay. And that was a beautiful yeah. thing. I think it was so nice to be in that room and feel welcomed and feel like, okay, we're, we're actually happy to have you guys here. So I found that those mm -hmm. services were more helpful and provided more hope whereas our community kept giving us this message that you just have to survive here and also there was this expectation that every time you visited the temple you had to look a certain way because you're a woman mm -hmm. and I was like how is it that our community is kind of asking us to go a bit backward in life whereas like all of these people I have a much more like hopeful and kind of you know, better outlook at things. It was very conflicting messages you were getting from both things. And then completely changed when I came to Melbourne because no one had these stereotypes around Indian people. Like in, in Adelaide, I went to work and I remember this um, white man asking me that were you allowed to wear skirts at your workplaces in India? And I was like, that's a very wrong assumption. Like, what do you think all of India is? It's not a slum. Like I used to work in, with a multinational organization. I can wear whatever I want to. But it was very confronting that, you know, yeah. people would throw you such stereotypes. I remember my sister coming home and she would say things like my friends I was speaking in class and they start mocking my accent and I don't want to go to school anywhere I don't want to speak in class and she's like someone who used to be debating in India so you know like that was so these kind of stereotypes kept coming as well so but then when I came to Melbourne completely different story it's um, my workplace was so accepting People can actually spell paneer here, which I was mind blown. To, I was like, this white person was like, I was like, oh, I cooked. I think I made palak paneer and took to work. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm having cheese. It's like form of cottage cheese. And she was like, it's paneer. You're having paneer. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know things. This is amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, and so but I think it's those little things are the things that make you feel at home though right those are the things that make you feel like accepted wanted and like part of the community essentially like you're not like an outcast and you're not strange and you're not different mm. I mean again bringing back the the like idea that it's okay to be different anyway but like having mm. acceptance is super important I think in a community absolutely like, these little things these are the things that I talk about all the time I'm like oh like you get this and I think this is why like I I don't know there's always this like running not a joke but like it almost is it's like why do brown people always look at other brown people and like try to figure out what kind of brown they are and yeah. I think it's because when we see someone else who like will maybe know some part of us that everyone else doesn't we get really excited about it and so it's just really cool to see that other people in the community that are not part of our culture necessarily are still embracing it like I've got friends um when we were growing up my mom used to be like oh like Diwali you know your friends come come home and so because we grew up in a predominantly white area all my friends are white um and even now like Diwali's coming up this week and like 
because they've been coming for years, they all know. They're like, they've all got their, I bought them all outfits and they dress up every year and they rock up every year. And it's just really cute because like they genuinely pay attention to it. And it's such a different experience to when like I was first growing up and being like, oh, one of four brown people in this like environment and like the clash of cultures and feeling uncomfortable in your skin and like in one place versus like when you're at home and not really knowing where you fit in just takes such a long time. It is definitely a process. An environment. Do you think, I guess, culture, environment, like the state, like town, like, sorry, no, culture and location played a big part on how accepted you felt because the culture in Melbourne is different versus Adelaide and like, you know, yeah, I guess, yeah, I I hadn't really considered whether location was a a factor in all of it. I think it is. Yeah, I think I think it is for sure. I felt um, like I said, I think for the first time in years. So when actually in 2018, when we first got our permanent residency, I went back to India and then I came back for a brief amount of time and I came back here and I straight away moved to Melbourne. And it was actually the first time in years after being in Melbourne for a year. I didn't want to f- go back to India immediately. It was like, like now I do because it's been four years coming in 2022. It'll be four years that I've gone back. But that feeling out of space, feeling like I don't belong here has moved. It's, it's like definitely passed ever since I've been in Melbourne. And I think there's a huge, huge kudos to like, you know, my colleagues and my um yeah all these people that are genuinely interested in culture and have made me feel accepted for sure I don't and I don't think they realized they were doing that mm-hmm. as well so that was the other thing you know when someone is kind of forcefully doing it you kind of feel like okay it's still weird it's still awkward but when yeah. someone does it unknowingly you're like okay so this is cool yeah mm. we can how do you think organizations can work towards becoming more culturally sensitive or being more culturally like, I don't know, except like introducing that acceptance? Like how do you, I know it's like a natural thing, like they don't know that they're doing it, but if you wanted to be a more culturally sensitive person, what would your tips be? I think from I my, yeah, yeah um, I personally feel awareness, just being aware that you know you have this community of let's say if they do have a South Asian community and there is a big important day coming for them even just checking in with them like one of the things that they did at Origin was like when India was going through this recent COVID crisis they sent out a mass email encouraging colleagues to check on their Indian colleagues and I was going through a really harsh time myself yeah. because I had family members. Everyone was COVID positive. Everyone I reached out to. And we lived in a, a good period of uncertainty for a month where every day we were getting a new news that oh someone's COVID positive. And it was, it was really hard. And I remember like, I, th- I almost broke down at work. I was like, I couldn't take it anymore. Going on Instagram, people are posting about deaths and this and that. And I just yeah. couldn't take it. And I remember being at work and a colleague didn't, she just said, how are you doing? And then I just like completely broke down. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I, I'm so sorry. I should have already had 
this awareness that you might be going through something. I should have checked in sooner and I'm really sorry that I'm checking in late, but let's go for a coffee. And then we went for a coffee and I, I couldn't actually speak much. I was, it's not like I was communicating my needs or anything. I, I was just in a state of helplessness and she was just there. Yeah. And then soon after this email came out that you should be checking in. And, and then we had more colleagues checking in with each other. And I also had a first an Indian colleague and we checked down on each other. And it's all, I think it's often just the little things being mindful yeah. that, you know, you, and I love that people have an awareness of Diwali. Like, you yeah. know, it, mm-hmm. it is a big festival for so many people mm-hmm. from India. And just having your colleagues even wishing you that thing yeah so I think for if an organization does have a big South Asian population or even if they have a small they can make us feel you know welcome just by acknowledging that okay this is actually a special day for you do you have plans Mm. I mean yeah it would be great if they would give us a day off for Diwali but that's what (laughs) that would be ideal (laughs) culturally would be bloody great yeah why, why not you know why not Eid why not Diwali why not the, I mean I know we have a lot of festivals but Diwali is one of the big ones yeah and for the most part I know a lot of people like even when um, my parents were working uh on site back over the years they used to take off the day you know for Diwali it was always like because you have to be home you're cooking you're cleaning I know I know it doesn't sound like a lot but I mean it's pretty much what you do for Christmas and it's anyway, isn't it like you, you clean the house you cook a shit ton of food you it, like you know you pray and then you you have like a great time with your family that's the whole point it's just like together. It. it's essentially our new year's so it's like a very big thing and I think a lot of people don't understand the significance of it but yeah it makes a huge difference to be acknowledged in mm. the workplace for sure even like like so leading up to Diwali you have so many festivals yeah. and I've just been um so I I did Karvatot this year and me and my husband both do it like he does it for me I do it Aww. for him and I actually told my colleagues about it. And then my um, my team leader, she's so sweet. She like remembered the whole thing. And she was like, just before I was leaving on Thursday, I think it was on Sunday. So Thursday is our last day. And then she said, for the week. And then she's like, oh, by the way, happy karma shots. And it was so sweet. Like, you know, it was like, okay, we're getting really like, you know, um, she acknowledged it and yeah and she's Chinese and I remember when we had Chinese New Year I was like oh you know happy Chinese New Year like it's a big deal for her like she spends it with her family so it's little things like that acknowledging and building your awareness of the cultures you have that is so yeah. awesome I love hearing that so also tell us about your business uh, you know how did the Artsy Brown really start and what inspired you to like start it so 2020 august was <laughs> dark time <laughs> dark time um i think we i was with an organization i wasn't enjoying as much um work in i have this like almost fire in me that i want to see a change in the world and kind of was feeling really dying like <laughs> i was like feeling really left out and um, I, when I was a youth worker, I was actively on scene supporting people. And it felt really like my fire kept me going. But having spent, ju- jumped into the mental health space, it's not, I don't know, I don't think you guys would feel this as well. It's not very immediate. No. The support you're providing is very like, you see it over years, months. 
you may you may yes you you might have a conversation with someone that could be helpful but the support you provide is very like gradual oh 100% so, so I was feeling a bit like I'm not creating enough change <laughs> I don't even know what that means and I was scrolling Instagram and I was like there's just not that many brown pages and I was like I wonder if like other brown kids because I say them kids because I'm the oldest sibling and my youngest is seven years apart so I was like what if like these like 20 something Oreos are scrolling Instagram and they just never find content that they can relate to because yeah. all the content they're finding is either you know um it's just not hitting the mark for them basically yeah. so I was like maybe I could create stuff and then I started with like just drawings yeah and I remember my cousin at one point of time was like you need to step into illustrations and I was like oh it's, I had to learn a whole new software and she was like you can do it just look on YouTube videos and this and that anyways I spent quite a lot of time self-learning on the internet so I learned procreate which is where I do most of my illustrations and um, a lot of time with learning from other artists online yeah. on this artist community they're called Skillshare and yeah and I started creating art that resonated with me first of all and in the beginning it was like okay even if I don't get any likes or anything there's this is for me this is my space I'm creating change through this artwork and I think eventually people will relate to it and I don't care if like it's not getting that many likes or shares it's just this is just my space yeah and then eventually so many people started resonating with it and I think I got my first order a few months ago where someone was like you know what all do you do like what all can we get your print on um we're looking to supply I think this was through Australian South Asian Center yeah and they said that you know we're looking to send it to some awesome South Asian women and we want it produced by a South Asian woman and I was like oh that's really awesome and we went through designs and everything and yeah so since then it's been really amazing and it's really taken off people are um, enjoying the artwork and they are enjoying the products that you know I've been making it's it became a business without me realizing it's going to become a business Business. it started as like the best way for things to start it's like it started off as a passion project and it I think that's why things prosper right because it is something that you truly from the bottom of your heart enjoy and to be honest for anyone who hasn't checked out the artsy brown lady you can see her on instagram and you can go on to artsybrownlady.com her like gurin's work is actually amazing it is relatable it is it covers like it's just got so much depth to it and I think if you haven't already seen it and if you're not already following her work 100% go and do it because I'm a huge fan <laughs> thanks guys that means a lot every time someone texts me or like dms me like all oh, your work like I really resonated with it I'm tell- like 100% telling you I'm in on a high ride for the rest of the week because I'm like someone said that to me because your work is empowering right you don't just paint for the or like create for the sake of creating there is you know there's so many themes to it so we are looking at things like we're looking at being unapologetic we're looking at being empowered we're looking at cultural dilemmas so these are things that people can actually relate to there's so much work around you know standing up to taboo as well and I'm like 
yes, this is all, it needs to be out there. And I think before we started recording, we were talking about how important it is to have conversation in order to destigmatize um, mm. issues that are like quite prevalent within our community. And you're doing that. You're doing that through your work. Um, mm. You're doing that by getting the messages out there. And it's not just, you know, the work that you produce, but it's the, uh, it's the way that you write up about them as well. I think that is fantastic because it's just, yeah, it's just like a different way of getting things out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think you know more and more it needs to happen more and more because I think a lot of people, and we've been told this since mm-hmm. we are very young. We have a very people pleasing mentality, specifically if you're a woman. Like yeah. my, I think your whole life is just don't offend this person, don't offend this auntie, don't offend this clergy, <laughs> don't offend this. This and I'm, I was all over the people it. in your life who uh, have nothing to do with you at or all, or are not making your, your life better in any way. Okay. Like they're not really contributing to your day in day out. Yes, yeah. they've been a part of your life when you were growing up, but they've also, in some ways, been quite toxic to you. And yeah. it's, you know, calling that out is important. Like, I think I, oh, my mom follows Artsy Brown Lady. So, yeah. And I think that was huge because she was like, I want to follow you on Instagram. I'm like, you're not going <laughs> to like it. <laughs> you, you're you prepared for a ride. And every mm. time I post something that's like really close to my heart, like the recent disclosure about like, you know, having gone through suicide and trying to attempt that, I actually like run it by her first. Because I'm a bit worried that, you know, she she might take it different. But how I often explain it is like, I think sharing your story, first of all, destigmatizes it. And second of all, opens conversations for other people. Like they read something on Instagram and they first of all feel, okay, I'm not alone. This is someone else has been through this. And one thing that I, like people have said to me while being a peer worker specifically because I'm doing doing peer work in a community like which is a multi-diverse so city of you yeah very diverse and this I remember a young person just specifically saying to me that it gives me hope it just mm-hmm. gives me hope that you've come out on this other end and I didn't realize that that your stories could be that powerful we underestimate the power of our words and the power of the content that we produce out there because for us it's not coming from the heart it's just something that we think but the fact that another person is able to resonate and you can eliminate that uh that concept of loneliness it just it's so powerful because that can give someone so much energy to like go out and just be themselves and I don't know, like you said, having those conversations is so important because we're, if we're not, okay, if we're going to talk about the topic of change the goddamn narrative. Mm. Like, look, I'm going to say whatever they want to say anyway. Mm. Like, if we're going to be asking, what are people going to be saying? What are people going to be thinking? Well, let's change what people are saying. Let's change what people are thinking. And how do we do that? We do that through these type of avenues. Mm. For sure, for sure. I think one of my artwork has this lady wearing... Uh, a neck piece which is fuck Lokya <laughs> and it is my favorite I, I have favorites within the art piece and it's one of my favorite and because you know I was so over it by the end of my journey in Adelaide because people were actually saying things and I was so over it I was like oh my god I can't believe like you know we've moved out of India and this is just not stopping and yeah like there's so no non-stop <laughs> 
And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that we need to change this narrative. And one of the reasons that the taboo art pieces are very much focused at that only, because when yeah. they when they see it on Instagram and they're like, okay, like one of the ones that did was on divorce. Yeah. Um, and it's such a big taboo. And it's it comes from very like personal, like mm. the art pieces that I created are usually when I've heard someone's story and, I, and the, it's really hit me home. And I'm like, I just hate to see your suffering as a byproduct of this society that isn't letting you change or isn't letting, mm-hmm. is affecting your life because we've got a narrow-minded society. You shouldn't be going through this. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when I create an art piece. And I spe- specifically remember the divorce one. Everyone that just saw it was so much like, we just need more of this. And I, I didn't realize that. I was like, to me, it was just like, I got touched by it. And I was like, I have to yeah. make it. I love the words that you've used though, like around like the byproduct of society, because that's so, that's such a great way of putting how community society affects Indians, how it affects Asians specifically, because we are so com- community oriented that what the collective thinks and what the collective feels and what the collective is saying ultimately impacts and influences our decisions as people so whether that decision is best for us or not we won't take it but we'll be like oh like if the collective feels this way then we will tomorrow if everyone was again going back to like changing the conversation if everyone decided within our community that divorce was okay at whatever age and stage and whatever in life this would not be a problem anymore but it's just so tabooed and we don't talk about it and we don't talk about the consequences of it that I, I just, I know so many people who are in this position right now. And again, this is one of those, um, another one of the topics of, that I'll be writing an article on is divorce in the South Asian community and how difficult it is to actually take that step when, you know, there's no reason that you should be living in it. For sure. Yeah. And would you prefer, like, I think a lot of the collectivists that you hear comes from your parents and that's why it's really important to have parents that, aren't of this survival mentality yeah that aren't afraid of being questioned or judged in a community for their children's choices so a lot of what you hear comes from comes down from your parents and you need to have those strong role models that are okay with saying so let's say if you did have really supportive parents who are okay with divorce you wouldn't question it twice because what you're hearing about the collectivist is coming down from their parents as well for sure mm. I totally agree what does intersectionality mean to you uh I think <laughs> this is so interesting <laughs> so the intersectionality art piece got really popular and my sister was like what does this mean why is it so popular and I, she's like I, I love that we've got mugs at our place but can you please explain this to me and I, I, every time someone says that I can only hear her voice um, I think for me, it means that no issue can't, can be marginalized as a community issue. Yeah. Like we can't just say that divorce or like, let's say not even divorce, like I think the one that got famous was around feminism. And if you explain it intersectionality in that context, um, feminism wasn't like the first wave of feminism was about women's right to vote right and then we moved down and we see all these new waves of feminism and one of them kind of was like 
all we're fixating on is the rights of, let's say, white women. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing this TikTok. It's the best way you can explain intersectionality is that there's an existing group of white feminist women and some women of color join it. And then she is like, and they're creating placards about how the women earns of 70 cents to a man on the dollar. And this, this woman of color is like, oh, that's only for white women. Like women of color earn even less. And she's like, no, 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 you're changing the conversation. This is not what our conversation is about. And then this woman of color goes like, well, if we're not, we, I don't have the privilege of being either a woman or a woman of color. Mm. So how is that inclusive? So I think for intersectionalities around inclusivity and understanding that, you know, whatever you are supporting has so many multidimensional views, like even mental health, if we look at mental health, wide communities are more comfortable accessing mental health, whereas people of color are still living in taboo. And then... And then people from an LGBTQI background are having their own issues accessing mental health. So when it comes to intersectionality, it's about creating a service that is inclusive of people of color, that is inclusive of someone who identifies with you know, a different sexuality because they need to be there for people to see them, to feel comfortable to access that service. And I think this was one of my best takeaways around um, working with organizations. When you meet diverse people, that you can only create an intersectional service with having people with diverse backgrounds there. And if you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice. You're automatically closing off a lot of people from accessing these services because they come in your, they, like even for someone like me, right? I'm based in City of Hume, and. Before I started at my service, I found that, you know, there probably wasn't someone from a different diverse background working there. And the more I work with diverse families, I have had them on my face say that it's just so nice to see someone from an Indian community doing this role. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable talking to a white person about my issues. Like this woman I remember supporting, she was like, my husband has refused. Yeah. He will not see a white service because they will not. And, and a lot of times there's a lot of general, and our experiences are like, there's a lot of generalization. You'll go to and see a therapist who's not, you know, let's say you go and see a white therapist or like a family therapist. And they make generalizations like, oh, is that okay but in your culture? And you've disclosed something quite vulnerable. Yeah. It's probably got nothing to do with culture in this moment. But then it hits bam like no but it, it's so true and look as a as a south asian therapist and as someone who has started up their private practice based around the fact that there isn't enough um cultural competence i think within the mental health sector um, i think you know australia is doing a great job in terms of destigmatizing mental health in the spaces that they can covid's come along in this time and really supported with that as well and we've we've started having better conversations around mental health but the cultural competency side of things is just it's still minimal there isn't a lot of therapists out there Mm. are competent in like the cultural side of things and when I say competent I mean you can be a white therapist and still be culturally aware 
Mm. My experience growing up was that, yeah, there weren't enough brown therapists. There weren't enough, there were a lot of white therapists and there was a lot of like me spending six to seven sessions being like, well, this is not okay because of this thing and having to explain why things are okay or aren't okay in your culture. And while a South Asian therapist is not going to be necessarily, they're not, not that they're not going to be the, be able to solve all your problems or support you the best, but you know what helps is that they will already have an idea of what is going on in the background because they understand the culture, mostly because of lived experience, mm. um, but also due to the fact that they've probably done research. Like my research project was around this sort of stuff last year and it definitely opened up my eyes. And it doesn't mean that I sit there and assume that I know what's going on for everybody every yeah. because th things are different, mm. right? right? But at the same time, it definitely makes a difference because a lot of the clients that I see, they're like, oh my God, Anushka, like this is the first time that I've just been able to dive straight into my issue and be like, this is what's going on with me without someone stopping me and being like, same thing. Is this okay in your culture? Oh, like, I don't understand why you can't talk to your parents about this or you should cut off all the toxic people in your life. And like, they're like, well, the, I live with them, so I can't. So, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And like, you know, not going into the black and whites of things because I think that's it, right? When you come from an individualistic sort of perspective, mm. things are very, at least in my experience, it seems to be quite black and white. Things are either good or bad. Like your parents, for example, can either be good or bad. Community can either be good or bad. But there's not a lot of understanding around the fact that in when you're coming from a collective space, that things sit in the gray. And a lot of the decisions that you make do depend on other people. And it's very difficult to break out of that cycle. Um, mm. It's not a matter of breaking out of the cycle, but it's a matter of, adapting to it and being able to set your boundaries where you need to set them so, that's yeah. absolutely i think that you've brought it to such a nice point of which i think is i don't know you know it probably doesn't make sense to this conversation but in general it's a great point is that we can't cut off people when you're from a migrant community no. they, you don't know that many people i'm sorry when you just migrated you like you know i can't just say that my I had a fight with my sister. That's it. Bye. See you Bye. never. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Get, I don't get know anyone else. Like, this is the only person yeah. I know. What are you talking about? Yeah. Exactly. That you have a very limited support system. They know you like no one has known you. They've known you all your life. And you can't just I feel much more happier coming two years. Like I've been in therapy and two years down the lane, I feel much more happier that my therapist was just like, right we're going to work on you being have able to have empowered conversations yeah. with these people we're going to work with you work communicating better rather than her saying that your solution is moving out yeah. <laughs> just move out of here. you know and then that's and then that's not to shit about that it doesn't work absolutely you need that gap with and I did move out of my parents house when I came to Melbourne I think but you need that space but I think yeah. a, a huge approach that I take as well is that let's face it for the most part you're not you might not be financially stable enough you might be studying within our absolutely culture. yeah it takes time to build up that courage and confidence mm. if the issue is communication then why aren't we solving that first and it might not yeah. be something that your parents understand but it might be something that you're able to teach them so let's work through that together Let's talk mm. about communication. Let's talk about empowering you. And that's it, right? Empowerment is so important because as like young people who come from that sort of background, empowerment is not necessarily something that we uh, 
we're used to because mm. everyone's always there to either make decisions for you or to inflict their opinion on you even if they don't know you so you're getting all of these all um, of an overload of resources from every angle and you're just like whoa I don't know what to do uh, there's a running joke in South Asian communities about how men are dependent on their on their mothers oh yeah 100%. and um <laughs> they just are incapable of taking any decision and I think there is some sort of like people think oh you know this is a joke it's actually, no, really no, but it's actually harmful for the for you know not giving that independence to your child but also like it, it the learning to be independent after being with your parents all your life is such a journey as well so, so you know it's so important to not like actually talk about it and say you know what I've had I've had to have this conversation with my friends I'm like this is now getting to a point where it's actually more harmful than beneficial and you have to like start acting more like an individual and take these decisions rather than cribbing about how like my mom doesn't do these things so I'm like what's stopping you from you like yeah what's stopping you what is actually holding you back from doing that because you can't make your own decisions as someone who's moved out of home and has like individual, like I can, I can, I feel like I'm very good at making decisions in general, but this is just going to show how even therapists will have their moments. I was getting new blinds put in my house. And for whatever reason, the guy was like, what color blinds do you want? And is this okay? And like what material? And I just like, I've made every other decision in my life on my own. And I was like, man, I don't know nothing about blinds. And I'm, I, I called my mom and I was like, can you like come over? And she like lives down the road and she came down and she's just like, ah, yes. And it's not that I, that she made the decision for me. I chose already. I just was like, what do you think? Can you give the okay so that I feel okay about this? And then when the blind person left, I'm like, why am I like this? And I was like, why, why am I waiting for you to... Like, and I just, I, it was such a glitch in my brain because I'm like, wow, like made the decision to buy a house on my own, made the decision to move out, like, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. But like, no, when it comes to blinds, I was like, I can't make this decision. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I think. A bizarre moment for me. Absolutely. And this is where it comes, this conversation moves from independent, hyper-independence to codependence. And there's a, there's a big thing around that, you know, oh, we shouldn't be codependent or we shouldn't, like, we, the, it, there's a big push on us being independent, independent. And that's okay, you know, that's great. There's, it really empowers you when you make certain independent choices, but there's also no harm in having good support systems that you can depend on. I think, I think it's, I don't think it's really natural to just say, um, in, um, to not stay codependent. You're codependent on somebody for at least something. Like that whole, yeah. you know, idea about, you know, being codependent is toxic or it's unhealthy. Mm. I think that is, it is not realistic. And mm. just, I think, just, yeah. and then, you know, what happens is when, you know, I guess when, um, at least this is what I've learned when I was um, very young, I came here because I wanted to be independent. And then when I came here, I realized, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm independent. Everything is good. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm still so emotionally codependent and dependent on my parents, even though they're so far away. And then yeah. it was not just about being physically independent for me then, then it was how can I actually emotionally separate myself and be a person of my own. Yeah. And once I started doing that, I think the process requires you to be dependent on somebody, at least codependent, you know? I guess it's like, whole idea of 
being dependent on somebody's got such negative light to it that it forces you to do uh, be independent when you when you actually need help and you don't realize when you think there's a difference between codependency and having support because codependency yeah. is toxic in the sense that you're feeling responsible for someone else's well-being for their emotions and mm. uh, feeling loved or needing to uh sort of like fix other people's problems saying yes when you want to actually say no, no. Mm. like you know that that consistent feeling of being uh taken for granted and resentfulness can come from it or like obsessively or unconsciously trying to behave like the behaviors of others mm. um versus like when you have social support and knowing that mm. it's actually okay to not be okay and to seek help mm. is different and co- like coexistence and having healthy relationships is different to codependency so mm. if you don't depend on people is just check yourself and make sure that like yeah. when you are wh- whatever your relationship is whether if it's with your parents your partner whatever mm. ensuring that you're having those healthy boundaries and that you are able to have open communication discussion and like you're going to have emotions attached right that's just how we are as humans yeah. but um ensuring that it's not detrimental to you because mm-hmm. I think that's where it gets to a toxic level mm-hmm. again realizing that like codependency looks different in like uh western cultures versus in i think more eastern cultures as well like we are mm-hmm. we're a codependent society is just how we function um mm. and it's something that we grow up with and so it is very difficult to like remove ourselves from that and maybe mm. you don't need to remove yourself from it necessarily you just need to strike a balance absolutely i think that's that's very well put up mm. that you like really hit the mark mm. what what are your thoughts on art as therapy uh i was almost uh, i got into art therapy and then i didn't do it because it was 2020 and they were like we're going to teach you online i was like no nah, no nope. <laughs> um but what i've realized is definitely very very therapeutic but having worked mm-hmm. in tertiary mental health i also know it's not for everyone so it's a very like specific niche for people that do enjoy color i think art therapy for kids is really great like they they can express themselves through color therapy they can relate to certain colors to moods and really express themselves and works really well and again it wouldn't work for all children but i think majority children relate to it and this is what i've heard from other you know therapists that work with kids and i used to work in out of school home care programs yeah. so i've noticed that art a lot of kids resonate to it but as yeah. adults you'll you'll find that it's only it it helps certain kind of um young adults for sure teenagers there'll be it but i always feel like my personal experience is for me artist therapy has worked almost all of the times but i'm also married to someone who's not that much interested in art and often i'll take a blank canvas and i'm like let's put our feelings on it it just doesn't work you know what you mean you're like yeah. represent different feelings and you're like what No um no but it's true uh art for anyone who hasn't explored the concept of painting or drawing or just getting stuff down it is beautiful because it's a form of mindfulness when you're painting mm-hmm. or drawing or engaging in something creative you are solely present in that moment and because mm-hmm. of that you don't do anything else you're not overthinking life and quite often um what happens is like you might get started on something and then later realize that you've probably spilled a lot of your feelings out onto the canvas Um, for sure yeah so it is a really beautiful way of 
going about, I don't know, sorting through your feelings. It's a good form of self-care. I really like it. I, um, I remember we, our baby painted last. We last did, time. yeah. John V and I, when we were doing, we were doing planning yeah. day for sure. And we were like, okay, let's take a break. And then we painted it and it was really nice. It's just like a nice timing yeah. effect. You can, you know, sort of continue doing it. Um, Gurinder, I guess what's oh, sorry, sorry. one piece of advice to our audience? It's that if they take nothing else away from today, what, what do you want them to take away? Um, I think what I want them to take away would be that, you know, these conversations that we've started having, let's keep them going. And that conversations have a lot of power and be vulnerable, be open. I think people think there's some strength in hiding your struggles or there's some strength, especially with mental health. This is like very much around mental health that when you are struggling in life with let's say migration or another or separation or and people think that you know holding on to those kind of things and those conversations because oh I don't want to bore you or I don't want to like put it out on the internet what I'm gonna first of all please fuck I think really really and then I feel the like other that thing is the quote that we put up. Fuck Lokiake. We always put one up for every guest. And I think that should be it. Yes, yes. Put it. Put it for me. I think that's something that resonates with the most because they are not living your life. They have no input in making your life better or worse. You it's you're leading, you're like the you're the main character in your series, okay? And <laughs> make sure that you know you it's around you and have conversations, be open to podcasts like short podcasts and listen to it and I don't know maybe you feel like you're less alone from this maybe you feel like it's okay to talk about how you've been going through love that all right um so where can people find you Instagram Google um I'm not using Facebook that much. So I think Instagram and you can Google the website and um, there's a little mm. forum if you want to get in touch and um, you can contact me. But yeah, there's biggest Instagram. I'm like quite active on it. So if you message me, I'll be able to reply to you. And yeah, even if you just want to message me for a chat, like I've put this out quite a bit, is that if even if someone wants to just get in touch for a chat and just share that oh you know I heard you and I, I really relate I'd be like more than happy to have that mm. like 100% guys like follow her on Instagram because it will brighten up your feed follow yeah. us on Instagram too that would be great if you could just follow all of us on Instagram that would be ideal but definitely follow artsy brown lady <laughs> Um, on that note, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm just going to make some quick announcements before we finish up. So if you're interested in making some sure about migrant experiences and joining us as a guest speaker, head over to our Instagram page and fill out the guest speaker form. Um, and a quick announcement, and I feel like I make this announcement almost every week now, but Indian Care has received funding to provide international students with up to five free mental health care sessions. So if you've been thinking about seeking some psychological support and have been unable to do so due to finances, now is a great opportunity to get in on those free sessions. Also, Janvi's come up with this brilliant idea. I think we're going to be posting about uh, job opportunities for international yes. students. Yes. Yep. Um, so keep an eye out on our Instagram page for that as well. We're going to try and keep that updated as frequently as we can. As possible, yeah. Yep. We're putting in our stories and maybe I'll create a job highlight. Yeah, um, I think that's a good idea. Feed, so then, you know, you can just yeah, go so there. Yeah. Definitely yeah. send it to me, guys. I think I've got a few international friends who 
weren't accessing mental health because of that as well oh, so I, yeah would love to pass it on and it's great that they've got funding yeah for that. it's great yeah. it's so it's so mm. good and so like mm. i mean five free mental health care sessions great way to go about it because you know what like what are you going to lose it's yeah. free absolutely go. Mm. go to it if you don't yeah. like it, you don't have to go back it's fine mm. yeah. um but no, yeah, the job thing's really, really great too. I think it's very important because we are coming up to summer. I know a lot of people are looking for work. So yeah. 100% a great idea. Yeah. Um, um, so the next part is that you can, of course, find the resources uh, link for today's podcast topic at umidpsychology.com.au forward slash shore project podcast or just simply on our Instagram at shore project podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening and it's, it was so great to have you here today. I think had a very um, realistic, uh, cool. warm, compassionate, uh, I guess, conversation. That's how I would summarize it. Relatable as well. Very relatable. Yeah, quite, quite relatable. So thank um, you so much. Yeah, and we're looking forward to like collaborating collaborate oh what are what are my words we're looking forward to collaborating with you in the future so everyone keep an eye out on this space because hopefully we'll be doing some fun things next year i'm pumped for this i'm really pumped as well looking forward to it for sure guys amazing well thank you everyone for listening stay positive and test negative take care of yourselves bye bye